0: It's good to see you, Purpose Church, as we go through the quarantine together. Now, this is really exciting. If you hear any workmen in the background right now, uh, we are paving the central lot and the north lot while we're away on quarantine. Pamela Barden, our chief of operations, uh, and the trustees jumped on it. And because of your continued faithful giving, we were able to jump on this project while we're away at quarantine. So when we come back, eventually, Lord willing, we're going to come back to nice, shiny, Asphalt on that central and on that north lot. Uh, Now, here are seven of my favorite memes that you're gonna, uh, that I love to do these week by week as to what were my favorites from the past week. They are in ascending order, so from my least favorite to my most favorite. Uh, Number one, everybody's ears after they wear face masks for months. That monkey is what we're gonna look like after months of wearing those face masks. Uh, Number two, strategic cleanup for Zoom calls. Boy, I can identify with this. I take my Zoom calls for staff meetings at church in our bedroom, and so Kimberly's always coming in saying, make the bed, you didn't make the bed before you got on the Zoom call. Uh, Number three, the sign says, employees must wash hands. And he says, I'll wait five more minutes. If no one comes, I'm gonna wash them myself. I love number four. Here's a Denny sign that says, always open. And underneath it says, closed. (laughs) Number five, I bet you can identify with this. Tensions are high in the produce section as no one dares to lick their fingers. I tell you, when I'm in the produce section, even when I lick my fingers, I can never open up those plastic bags. And then number six, a sign says, wash your hands. And the centipede or the millipede, I'm not sure which one says, well, this is gonna take forever. And then here's my favorite. And my assistant, Tina Tong, uh, she's the one that produces our worship services. She actually made this one. She made this one herself. And this is my favorite. Online worship win. I finally have full control of the volume at church. And I can hear the amens from all across the land coming in right now. Now, this morning, before we get into our study uh, for the day, I want to talk about the question that is on everybody's minds, and that is, when are we going back to in-person services here at Purpose Church? And here's the answer. We don't know yet, but here's what we do know. We won't be the first church back, and we also won't be the last church back. We won't be the first, but we're not going to be the last. You know, over the last couple of weeks I've been communicating with megachurch pastors all across Southern California for the past two weeks and I find myself um, there are so many opinions out there and and from good people, tremendous leaders, people that love the Lord and that I, I care about so much as, as my friends but I find myself torn between two extremes. Now that doesn't surprise me because I have always in my ministry, been more like a Barnabas than like a Paul. And you go, Pastor Glenn, what are you talking about? Well, let me share two passages from the book of Acts and then two passages uh, from the book of Romans to explain what I'm talking about. The first one is Acts 11. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That was his Hebrew name. His Greek name was Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And there Paul began to mentor this tremendous young leader, uh, Paul. Now, Paul was a great leader, and Barnabas was an encourager. As a matter of fact, his name means the son of encouragement. Now, I've always been a Barnabas, but I have mentored many Pauls uh, down through the years. Uh, pastors like Chris Brown or, or Josh Hoosman, and now Eric Holmstrom, and, 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 and many others uh, beyond those three. Uh, now, in this debate, I find myself torn between two Pauls or in my case, between two Browns. And you'll say, Glenn, what in the world are are you talking about? Well, the two main voices of the extremes in this debate are Chris Brown and Matt Brown. Here's a picture of Matt Brown. Matt Brown is the pastor of Sandals Church in Riverside. And Pastor Eric and I got to know him uh, when Matt Brown, Chris Brown, Eric, and I were on a trip Uh, to ecuador sponsored uh, by compassion international for pastors of large churches from across the country and pastor eric and i we already knew obviously pastor chris brown really well but we also got to know uh, pastor matt brown and, and just have such respect and appreciation for him and and matt is the main proponent of the position to open now in spite of governor newsom's stay at home order he's the major proponent of open up churches now in spite of Governor Newsom's stay-at-home order. And you can find the link of his talk in this week's study guide under the title, Why Should Churches Open Soon? Now, this position is backed up by Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We need to obey God rather than human beings. Now, I have to admit, that there's a part of me that really resonates with them. I mean, it's, it's annoying. Why should we be able to have 500 people in a Costco and not have 500 people in a church service? Why should porn stars be at work and pastors not be at work? Why should churches have to wait to have services until the Dodgers and the Angels can play ball games? Uh, that's one uh, position, open sooner rather than later. Now here's a proponent of the opposite uh, position. Here's a picture of Chris Brown, and now we come to the opposite side of the spectrum, the let's be the last to reopen uh, position. Now obviously Chris is a very, very good friend, a very good friend of me and of Purpose Church. Uh, Chris was our uh, student ministries pastor for seven years and on our teaching team here at Purpose Church uh, for 10 years. And he's gonna be back to preach here on October 4th. So mark that in your calendar. Chris will be here to preach on October 4th. And Chris and I have had discussions about this debate and you can find the link of his talk on this issue again in this week's study guide under the title, Why We Aren't in a Rush to Open Our Doors. Now this position is backed up by Romans chapter 13, verses one and two. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now there's a part of me that really resonates with this position as well uh, because of scriptures like the one I just read. Also because of our witness to the community. Uh, people in our community, are they're divided on how to deal with COVID-19. And as a church, we could be a stumbling block to those who want a more cautious approach. I was talking with a county official just yesterday, a high-ranking county official, and he spoke about the tremendous relationship Purpose Church has with the city of Pomona, uh, with our mayor, and with our chief of police. And we don't want to do anything that would put them in a tough position and possibly hurt uh, that that special relationship. Also, there are practical reasons why maybe we wanna open up a little bit later and and not right away. Uh, We have to remember that when we come back, it is not gonna be immediately like March 8th, which is the last time we were all together. Oh, that seems so long ago. When we get back, it's not gonna instantly be like that. If we come back in a couple of weeks, We're gonna need to be physically distanced. We're gonna all be wearing masks. Everyone is gonna have to have their temperature taken before they come into church. You're gonna have to make online reservations for a particular worship service. Um, You can't sing during worship or hug or talk to people. But right after the service is over, you have to make a beeline straight to your car and leave right after the service is over. Now that's not the real challenge. The real challenge is children because children are not that great at physical distancing. They have a hard time with that, whether they're in the worship service uh, with us together or whether they're in children's ministries. Now, I always like to say, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And let me show you a picture right now. This is Fellowship Church in Grapevine, Texas. It's pastored by Ed Young Jr. And this is one of the greatest mega churches in America today. But look at that picture. Does, they just reopened a week or two ago. Does that look like one of the most thriving churches in America? Uh, No, it doesn't. And so it begs the question, is this what we're rushing back to? Uh, If you're you're like me, looking at that picture and and saying, this is a thriving, on-fire church, is this what we're rushing back to? And you look at that picture, and if you're like me, you say, yes, yes. Yes, uh, I, I want to get back to that. I, I can feel your pain. It's like, yeah, whatever it's going to be like, uh, I, I want to get back as soon as I can. I look at that picture and I say, look, he gets to preach to actual people. I'm, I'm so jealous. I want that <laughs> again. But you know what? You can see the point, can't you? We may want to wait until church is a little bit more like church before we come back. Do you you see see the reasonableness of that? Or to put it another way, our vision here at Purpose Church is everyone everywhere following Jesus. And right now we believe that we can fulfill that vision better virtually than we can in person. But I want to promise you, as soon as we believe, we can fulfill that vision, everyone everywhere following Jesus, better in person than we can do so virtually, we will reopen. Now, do you see why I'm so much like Barnabas? I can articulate both positions. I can even be passionate about both positions. Now, let me tell you why I think that is a good thing that your pastor is more of a Barnabas than a Paul um, during this particular moment uh, as the pastor of Purpose Church. As I hear from our people, as I talk to members of our church family, our church is divided right down the middle on this issue. I, I'm telling you, from the people I hear from, it's just about 50-50. You see the two extremes and everybody on the spectrum in between the two of those. Uh, we are right down the middle, 50-50, as, a, as opposed to those on one side open as soon as possible and those on the other side, let's open as late as possible and everything in between. And that's why our leadership and you, the people of Purpose Church, have been saying, let's not be the first to reopen, but on the other hand, let's not be the last to reopen either, because we are sensitive to the needs of those in our church family who are just desperate for Christian fellowship. We wanna be sensitive to their needs as well. So here's what I I wanna promise you. We're gonna open as soon as we can do so while being a good witness to our community and keeping you safe and keeping our community safe. Now there is some ministry that just can't be done virtually. So if you're just desperate for some face-to-face fellowship and ministry, please let us know. We will send a pastor or a volunteer over to your house and they will stand in your front yard and pray for you. They will stand on the other side of the screen door with a mask on and you have a mask on and they will pray for you, They, they will talk to you. Uh, we have called thousands and thousands of people and we've asked them the question uh, from our church and from the community, uh, how can we help? But if we haven't gotten to you yet and you have a need, please give us a call or go to PurposeChurch.com slash help. And we want to be there for you if you are just desperate until we can get back to live services face-to-face once again. Now, as the numbers increase as to how many can meet together... Uh, We want to minister to our congregation in thirds. We think future ministry is going to be a third, a third, a third. The, The first third will be those that continue to join us online, that you, for whatever reason, need to stay alone, just you or just you and your family. And so that's going to be a third of our church. Then there's going to be the third that, as the numbers increase as to how many can meet together, who will begin to be a part of watch parties. Uh, at a home, maybe you go to a home and you have lunch together. Uh, you watch together, and then you have lunch together. And so, a third will be uh, at their own home, uh, watching online. A third will be part of what these watch parties. And then, number three, the third third is the third that will want to come to our campus physically when we resume uh, in-person worship services. And that could be sooner than you think. Uh, right now, we are in phase two A. And at this point, churches have to wait until, to meet together until phase three. But I've heard some rumblings that churches may get moved to phase 2C or to phase 2B or even phase 2A, the one that we're in right now. Uh, I am taping this on Thursday, uh, May 14th. So by the time you see this on Sunday, this whole situation is very fluid and it may have already changed by the time you're hearing this on Sunday. Now another thing that makes it difficult is that our church is in Los Angeles County, which is earlier in phase two. But our Purpose Church family, we're a regional church, and so our Purpose Church family comes from four different counties. And so San Bernardino, Riverside, and Orange counties are later in phase two than LA County is. Now I wanna finish this part of my message by reading uh, Romans 14 verses one through four. Uh, The big debate today among Christians is when to reopen our churches. But the big debate among Christians in 57 AD was whether to be a Christian, you still had to follow the kosher Jewish diet. That was the big debate they had back then. So as I read this, uh, think about the debate that they were facing, but then also think about the debate uh, that we are facing as well. Romans chapter 14, uh, verses one through four. Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. This is not a matter of salvation. When to reopen our churches is a disputable matter. Wonderful Christians, sincere Christians can be on either side of this debate. And so don't quarrel over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt, the one who does not. Let's be careful not to treat each other with contempt if we have a different perspective on COVID 19. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. Uh, let's not judge each other on this issue. Let's not have churches judging each other. Let's not have Christians judging each other. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master, servant stand or fall, and they will stand? for the Lord is able to make them stand. Um, would you be in prayer uh, for me? I ask your prayers. I, As your pastor, I want to get this right. I really do more than about any other decision uh, that we've ever made. Uh, pray for our leadership. Let's pray for each other that God is going to give us wisdom as we make this decision in, in the weeks ahead. Okay, let's finish up our quarantine Christianity series with the subject of worry. Uh, Next Sunday, I'm gonna preach a Memorial Day weekend message that will tie in with our 150th anniversary as a church this year. And I've said this before, isn't it crazy that our 150th year has been one of our most challenging years? I I think it's interesting. God's just saying, I'm gonna throw some things out there and see if you can overcome them uh, in your 150th year. Now let me ask you a question, what do you worry about? And maybe you put it into the chat right now um, if, you're, if you feel like you're able to share a couple of things that you worry about. Some may be too private, but if you feel there are a, com- a couple that you could share, put that in the chat right now. Now sometimes your dreams can reveal what you worry about. They're a good indicator. Uh, my dad, um, who died at 86 years of age, but right up until he died at 86, he had this reoccurring dream from college that he, he was a geology major and he had this dream that he was in college and he went the whole semester and forgot that he had a lab connected with his class. And so in sheer terror, he wakes up in this dream thinking, I went to the class all semester, but I forgot there was a lab connected with it. Now mine is similar. Uh, I have had this dream for years that I got to the end of a semester at college and forgot to go to a class. My dad just forgot to go to the lab, connect with the class. I forgot to even go to the class. You professors and teachers out there, do you realize what anxiety you'd induce in us that uh, guys in their 60s and 80s can still have reoccurring dreams uh, in in, in fear and dread of you? Uh, Tuesday night, just this past Tuesday night, true story, I had a dream that large numbers of people just started showing up in our worship center, and I didn't have a sermon ready, And we didn't have a worship service prepared. (laughs) And Pete Wilson is behind our camera right now, and I've even told him this. I was crying out, Pete, where's the cue sheet? Pete, where's the cue sheet? And I told Kimberly about this dream later that morning, and she said, Glenn, that's a coronavirus dream. You're having a pastor's coronavirus dream. Now, the Bible says that worry is is a sin, Um, and it causes us to make bad decisions. Worry is a sin because it shows a lack of trust in God. And it causes us to make bad decisions because it makes us run from something we don't need to be afraid of, right into something that we do need to be afraid of. So we run from something, we worry about something that God could take care of in our lives, right into something that will get us into trouble. I I wanna show you right now, there's no sound to it, but just, it's called how to get rid of moles using gasoline and we have moles in our front yard and so i watched this video thinking maybe this is the way to deal with with moles but you see the guy in this he's he's treating the moles in one way saying this is something i want to get rid of these moles i'm worried about what they're doing in my yard but the cure is worse than the problem as he tries to get rid of using rid of moles using gasoline and what i particularly love at the end of this is how the dog runs away from what his crazy master has done. Now I'm not gonna read all of the verses from these three passages that you see in your outline uh, from Genesis 12, uh, Genesis 20, and Genesis chapter 26. But I would encourage you to read them on their own. They make for just like a tremendous Bible study for either your life group uh, when you get together or to do further study or individually in your quiet time, your personal time with God this week. Let me just summarize. Abraham had a worry problem. He struggled with worry, and he passed on that worry problem to his son Isaac, who passed it on to his son Jacob, generation to generation. That's what happens when we don't deal uh, with uh, sin in our lives. We tend to pass it on to our children and our grandchildren. It's what we call generational sin. Uh, by the way, it, it's it's online if you want to see it. If you didn't catch last week's Mother's Day service, it is the best Mother's Day service I have ever seen in like my forty years of ministry. Just wonderful. And one of the highlights for me was Letitia, Gloria, Nate, and Jarrett sang a song called "The Blessing." And I get to look at the services ahead of time. So on the, the Friday night before that, Kimberly and I are sitting on our back deck. The sun is setting, and we're watching this song, The Blessing, about blessing your children from generation to generation, from children to grandchildren to grandchildren. And Kimberly and I just sat there and, and cried together, Te- tears coming down both of our cheeks as we watched this song that was so powerful. Because there is there's generational sin, but there is generational blessing as well. Now, by generational sin, I don't mean you you the, the other person gets your sin, but the temptations, if we don't deal with it in our a generation, we will tend to pass on that temptation to the next generation. For example, my grandmother had a worry problem, and she passed it on to my dad, who passed it on to me, and I passed it on to my daughters. It's been this wonderful family tradition from generation to generation to pass on this struggle with worry. As a matter of fact, three of the first books that my dad ever gave me, this is the modern Version, but there were three old beat up books that he gave me by Dale Carnegie, who was a writer from years ago. And the first one was on public speaking, that I found very, very helpful. The next one was How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I found very, very helpful. And then the third book that he gave me was How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And my dad gave that to me because he struggled with it and he knew that I would struggle with it as well. Now, Abraham's biggest worry. was was that his wife was so beautiful that men would kill him for her. That his wife was so gorgeous that men were gonna kill him to get her. And I can totally identify with that fear. Uh, The title of Kimberly and my marriage should be Beauty and the Beast. Uh, When we're out together, people assume that I'm rich. Everybody assumes if I'm walking with Kimberly, I I must be a rich guy. Um, When we're out together, literally we've had people think that Kimberly is my daughter. No no lie, this this has happened to us. And so I can identify with uh, what uh, Abraham was worried about here. But because of Abraham's worry, if you read in those Genesis passage, he jumped away from something that could not hurt him because God was going to protect him, right into something that did hurt him, which was sin, which greatly hindered his his effectiveness for God. It's kind of like snakes in Virginia. When I grew up in southern Virginia, I used to run the, the country, love to run the country roads. But one of the things I didn't like is that many times there were snakes, and sometimes they'd be poisonous snakes right on the on the edge of the road where I'd be running. And I had to constantly think to myself, Glenn, don't do something stupid, like jump away from a snake, which even, we don't have super poisonous snakes in Virginia. They just make you sick a little bit. You might have to go to a hospital or something. Don't jump away from something that really can't hurt you that much into the path of a car which could hurt you, and that was my instinct, to jump into the road and get hit by a 60-mile-an-hour car going down a country road. Um, Sometimes it would just be a stick that looked like a snake, and I always thought to myself, how dumb would it be if I ended up killing myself jumping away from a stick into the path of a car? Well, that's exactly what worry does. We jump away from something that God says we don't need to be worried about, right into the path of something that does hurt us that we do, we should be concerned about. You know, there are two kinds of worry uh, is what divides Americans today, and I've read articles that say there are two Americas today. And I would divide America into two different kinds of worry that people are experiencing. Half of America believes that we have been so worried about COVID-19 that we've destroyed our economy. And then the other half of America believes that we're so worried about destroying our economy that we risk losing more lives than necessary to COVID-19. And so America is really divided uh, between those two worries. Now, let me give you some good news, bad news and good news for those of you that struggle with worry uh, like I do, Uh, like Abraham and me and, and you and any of you that struggle with worry. The good news is that God still used Abraham in spite of his struggle with worry. God still used him and he can use you and he can use me even if we struggle in this area. The bad news is that Abraham's lack of trust in God really did hinder his effectiveness for God. And the same will be true for us. But then the good news is that God can break the worry cycle with you and me in our generation. And Jesus tells us how to do it in Matthew chapter six. He gives us five reasons why worry is bad for you and then two things you can do about it. Number one, worry keeps us from appreciating what we have. We spend our time worrying about either what we don't have or we worry about what we do have that we might lose. And it keeps us from being grateful for what God has given to us. Jesus says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Number two, worry makes us forget our value. Verse 26, Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable uh, than they are? Uh, Do you remember a couple of weeks ago here, if you didn't catch this, go back a couple of weeks ago again online, and Kennedy Percival sang that beautiful song, uh, the old traditional song, if his eye is on the sparrow, then I know he watches me. If his eye is on the sparrow, then, and, and the sparrow has value, then certainly you have value to God as well. And worry causes us to forget just how much God loves us and how valuable we are to him. Number three, worry is not constructive. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 27, Jesus said, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus is talking about destructive worry, which has nothing productive to it. It just robs us of joy. But there is a constructive kind of worry. Can I tell you an advantage that you worriers like me and Abraham uh, and Isaac, do you, do you know an advantage that we have? It can actually improve our prayer life. You say, Glenn, what are you talking about? If when you worry, if you use that as a trigger to begin to pray about that thing, okay? So as soon as I start to worry about something, I'm like, well, that's an automatic like alarm. Why don't I pray about that thing? it could actually, the worry in your life could actually improve your prayer life by constantly reminding you to pray. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. So instead of being anxious, every time you're worried about something, instead, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then number four, worry causes us to forget about the promises of God. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor, spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? know there's a little practical thing that I do this file right here is called my worry list and it's just pages and pages of things I've worried about through the years now this is I will not let this out of my sight this is going right back to my office when this is done uh, and hidden in a secret drawer because if you were to read this I'm telling you if you were to thumb through this you would say your pastor is insane you would say pastor Glenn is a paranoid idiot because what I do is I'll write down every worry on one side And then when the thing doesn't happen, or what happens about it, I write on the other side. And and when it has a concrete end to it. So for example, I'm worried about a doctor's appointment on, and I'll put the date in there, and then that doctor's appointment comes and goes, and that thing I worried about didn't happen, I write that on the other side. Now, 1% of the time, the thing I worried about does come true. That that about, I literally say, in all the times I've done this, there are hundreds of worries in here. About 1% of the time, yep, it happens. But 99% of the time it doesn't. And so whenever I'm worried about something, I'll write the worry down, but then I'll go through all the pages of things that I've worried about in the past that didn't happen. And I'll say to myself, Glenn, I wonder if that thing you're worried about today will end up like that thing you worried about yesterday and and will not happen. That's been a very helpful thing to me. The other one that I've heard about is my daughter Leah. Um, uh, Kimberly and my daughter Leah, she and her husband and family live up in Seattle she, she's a warrior like me. I gave it to her as a precious birthright from her father. And she's a warrior. And this is what she does. And I, I found this very helpful. And I've been doing it in my own life as well. Is Whenever she starts to worry about something, she uses that as a motivator to pray for a person that that has actually happened to. Okay, so you're worried that you're going to get coronavirus. But you don't have it right now. Well, use that as a reminder to pray for people that do have the coronavirus. And and Leah has has had that as a habit in her life, and that was very, very helpful uh, to me, and I've begun to do it as well. And then number five, worry is characteristic of those who do not know Christ and not of believers. Uh, Jesus said in verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Uh, Jesus gives us two ways for us to deal with worry. He tells us how foolish worry is, and then he says these are two things you can do with my help, with God's help, to conquer worry. Number one, seek first the kingdom of God. He says in verse 33, and this has been my life verse. When I was in high school, I adopted this as my life verse. My life verse is Matthew 6:33. But seek first His kingdom, God's kingdom, and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You see, when I live for my kingdom, for my will, for my plan in my life, I need to stay awake at night worrying how that's going to turn out because it's on me. If I'm living for my kingdom, man, uh, it it better turn out well because it's all on me. But when I seek first God's kingdom, I can sleep like a baby because now it's his responsibility. If I seek first his plan, his will, uh, His, his kingdom, I sleep like a baby, because God, that's on you, how that whole thing uh, turns out. Romans 8:28, Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good, okay? It work, turns out well in the end of those who love him, and if you love him, you obey him, you follow his plan, you stay in the center of his will, who have been called by God according to his purpose. Those that live for God's kingdom and for his purpose, it will work out well in the end. You live for your own purpose, your own kingdom, your own will, your own way. Hope that turns out well for you because it's all on you and it's all on me. And then number two, live life in day-tight compartments. You say, Glenn, what are we talking about? Now, here's a picture of the Titanic. And it has uh, 16 compartments were built into the Titanic and it was, it was, they built it so that if even four of them got flooded, if they ran into an iceberg and, and got four of them damaged, and four of them filled, they could seal off. Each compartment could be sealed off on its own, and it was built so that you could isolate the leak in that one compartment uh, and and keep it from bleeding over into the other compartments. And so if four of the 16 um, got filled, the Titanic would still stay afloat. Now, here's the problem. With the, the, the iceberg that it went by, it sliced across six, not four, but four plus two, six compartments. Too many compartments flooded into each other and that's why it sank. And that's exactly what happens in our lives. God built us to handle trouble one day at a time. And when we allow the trouble of yesterday to bleed into today, when we allow the trouble of tomorrow, that compartment, to bleed into the compartment of today, that's when we sink because nobody can bear the trouble of more than one day at a time. Verse 34, Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And everyone who's in quarantine said, Amen.
1: But this question of fear, we're all afraid of it. And there are things in relationship to this fear that you and I have to recognize that if you trust in God and let him be your guide and strength, you won't have that fear. And your fear is in relationship to your trust. As your faith in God gets stronger, your fear dissipates, and as your faith in God gets weaker, your fear arises. you want to have fear dissipated and removed? Then you rise up and hold up the name of the living God and look to him to undertake for you, and he will. It's our faith that brings victory. It's our faith that casts out fear and enables us to put our trust in the blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We will worship the man of Galilee who went to a cross 2,000 years ago, and no one can take his place. No one will intercede or interfere. We will not permit it. So it is we have faith without fear.